Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode four of Talking Through Traffic. The sound of my dog barking in the background means it is time for another episode. And uh, before we get going, um, I want to apologize for anyone I offended. Uh, in the last episode, I didn't read the whole copy of the ad for Ponchburger. And, uh, anyway, we have a new sponsor this week and I've reread it over and over again. I've talked to my wife about it and I think this ad will be something that sticks. Folks, are you, do you own your own business or are you uh, a writer or a student and you find yourself in constant need of paper? Well, don't just use any old paper. Don't just pick up, you know, whatever Office Max is selling you. Pick up the best paper known to man. Paper quality matters. And not only paper, but people quality matters. And where can you find all this stuff? The best paper quality and the best people quality? At Dunder Mifflin. Dunder Mifflin. The people person's paper people. We live in a digital world full of hopes and dreams, and, well, at Dunder Mifflin, they have limitless paper for an increasingly paperless world. You can put anything you want onto there, and they guarantee you will enjoy their customer service from their top-notch sales team, and, well, you won't be going anywhere. You'll stick with them. Dunder Mifflin, the people person's paper people. Welcome, everybody, and thank you for tuning in uh, to Talking Through Traffic, Episode 4. Been uh, maintaining the same uh, number of listeners each week, so thank you to everyone who listens. Um, I really appreciate it. Um, And honestly, I'll I'll keep putting these out on time every week, every Wednesday, uh, for as long as I have people listening and interested. So thank you for listening. Uh, Today's episode is going to be a little short. Uh, The topic's a little short, and uh, I don't really have much to say on it, but I I think it's an important thing to talk about. Um, Now, uh, actually, some business first. Uh, To those of you who have reached out to other platforms, uh, we're on Spotify, Stitcher, um, anywhere, really anywhere you can get your podcasts uh, we're also on Apple Podcasts, uh, or iTunes, if you prefer to call it that. Um, but uh, it's been a week, and I've only seen episode one on there. So if you're subscribed there, uh, just be patient. Uh, I'm going to look into it and see why the other episodes haven't uh, uploaded. Um, but honestly, if you're listening to it uh, uh, through the Anchor app, uh, or through the links I post on Facebook. Uh, just stick with that for now, and once I know for sure Apple Podcasts is up to go, um, I'll let you know, and if that's your preferred way of getting podcasts, uh, I know that's my preferred way, um, then uh, I'll let you know in, uh, in a future episode, once I know. And, 
you can go subscribe. Uh, if you're subscribed there already, uh, and you're not, they're not popping up. Just be patient, please, and uh, I'll let you know. Uh, anyway, on with the show. Today's topic I want to talk about is a couple episodes I talked about. You know, the stereotypes of 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 the depictions of mental health in movies in the popular media at large uh and i mainly focused on negative stereotypes but today uh, or well they're all really negative stereotypes but i i want to focus on one particular stereotype and thing that people have in their head and one that i have even now sometimes you know find myself in trouble of uh violating and that's uh the kind of aura of the you know the the tortured artist you know the the artist the poet who is tortured by depression and and you know has you know horrible things and they're just they're just tortured with a, a, so many demons and yet they produce such great uh imagery um in art and uh you know there are so many real life examples of the the tortured artist uh Eugene O'Neill who I I read his monologue I think uh a couple episodes back uh from one of his plays and he was definitely one um he had a very painful life um you know and there are so many more that come to mind i mean uh i mean hemingway you know he killed himself uh, kurt cobain more uh recent one um but i i do i do kind of want to clear up that you know it, it is easy to fall into that trap because uh what most people don't understand is sometimes when you're an artist you do go to art as a way of coping with the stresses of everyday life the depressions the demons the you know the overall thing that brings you down you know the 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 main thing of it is is, is a way of coping with that pain and the more you do it, the more you can feel like, well, the pain is fueling my art. And it's not, that's not the case. It, it is fueling it somewhat, but, you know, you're, it's, it's not the cause of your, of your art. And it's nothing to desire either. Mental illness is not something to desire it's not romantic. Uh, there's, it, 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 it's painful. It, it hurts. And it's so much better to be healthy. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to lie. If you're drawing on your pain for your art, uh, when you no longer have that immediate, that pain immediate in your life, it does become a little harder because the source you're drawing from has now got to change. Uh, now you're not drawing on that immediate pain. It's easy to draw on that because, like I said, it's it's immediate. But 
it's not the only thing you can draw on. You can draw on so many things uh, in society, um, overall, and and I mean the most important thing: your memory. Your memory never goes away. If I mean, you know, in acting we have this, uh, you know, thing called emotional recall, and it's not something I. I mean, this is going down a rabbit hole, but it's not something I, as an actor, typically subscribe to. But uh, the idea of recalling a memory and, you know, recalling the emotions and using that in your art, uh, as an actor anyway, um, I don't particularly subscribe to that. I'm more of an, you know, be committed to your character in the moment and be in that mindset and let that propel you forward rather than substituting a memory but that that's neither here nor there um but it does work if you're a writer if you're a songwriter if uh you know if if you're a painter if you know uh, the memories will never go away and and those things that happen to you you can get over them but still recall the pain of it and it'll be a little more difficult because when you're over something when you've coped with something it's a little hard to recall the exact pain of it, but that's where the technique and the art of whatever your art form is comes into play. Uh, you got to rely on those things and, and really get into the nuts and bolts of it. You can't just pour out your heart onto a page and expect it to be good. There is some science and technique to it uh, that goes into making the art art uh, and making it good art. Um you know, I was watching League of Their Own the other day, and it's a great quote about baseball he makes, uh, the Tom uh, the Tom Hanks character. Um, you know, the, the, the main character, I'm forgetting the actress's name, uh, Dottie is the character name. She's leaving with her husband, and she's telling him why, and, you know, because he's his best player. And she says, you know, it all just got too hard referring to baseball and, you know, all the ups and downs of it. And Tom Hanks's character says, it's supposed to be hard. The, the heart of it, if, if, if it wasn't hard, everyone would do it. The heart of it is what makes it great. Now he's referring to baseball, but that, I mean, you could really apply that philosophy to anything in life. And I apply that to art. Art is not supposed to be easy. It's not supposed to be you go through pain and then you write about it and then all of this, or you put it in a song or you think about it while you're acting and all of a sudden you're the greatest thing ever. It's not that easy because we all have pain. We all, the, the key is to, is to find a way to take what you've been through and put it in a way that can you can com, is communicatable to an audience uh so that they can apply it to their own lives however it can be and to also have you know the things that whatever your particular work of art needs um and like i said there are so many avenues to pull from um pulling from joy is so much better than pulling from uh, pain and demons because now as a writer, cause I'm a writer, uh, when I'm coming up with things, I focus on what I enjoy in life. And then I imagine 
what if that was taken from me? In, and I imagine in the worst way possible, because it's fiction, and I'm a fiction writer. And I think, what would my reaction be? How would that hit me? How would I react? And that's so much... I, the, you know, when you focus on that, it's easier for me to make it something that's really powerful because whereas before I was focusing on how bad something hurt or the pain of something, now I'm focusing on the loss of something. I'm focusing on the joy of something and the absence of it and how you f- feel with that rather than just focusing on how so, how bad something hurts. Um, and I think that just overall makes it a more complex uh, understanding. And I'm not pulling from anything negative. I'm pulling from something positive in my life. And then putting it into a fictional scenario. Uh, playing, you know, basically the evil god. And manipulating the situation to where things go horribly wrong. And... Uh, you know, I imagine all the avenues you could go and it, it becomes more of a game, like a, you know, almost a sadistic game of, you know, how can I make things worse for this particular fictionalized version of myself? Uh, and then how can I get back out? And it becomes therapeutic in the same way the other one was therapeutic. But I'm starting from a positive place, moving to a more positive place. Um, and, you know, the realities of depression, and I, and, I, and I can't stress this enough. You know, unless you can are able to find a way to, to cope in the right way to where you are being productive, most of the time... If you're really depressed, like, you don't have the energy to do anything. In fact, it's it's actually a bane to yourself as an artist. Because suddenly you get into this headspace of what's the point? Or, you know, doubting yourself too much. And you just kind of, you don't take risks. You want to be safe because you're so worried about screwing up. Um... And, you know, it's a lot easier to get things done and to try new things and to be bold and brave when you're pulling from joy. You know, when you yourself in your life have joy and and are, and are battling your demons and you, you are able to find some stability. Um, you know, so it, it's... The, the romantic thing, and it's out there for a good reason and, and all that, but I think what people forget is the reason why those people who had hard lives and had demons they were fighting uh, produce great art is because they were able to find a way to take that pain and turn it into something positive, to... to turn it to they were able to find a coping mechanism to make themselves overcome and some people they were able to do that up until a point and then they just weren't able to do it anymore you know like Hemingway or you know Kirk Cobain or whoever you want to say um 
but it doesn't mean that that was the key to their greatness because it wasn't. Um, and you're fooling yourself if you think it was. Um, so that's about all I have to say. Uh, I'm going to leave you with a reading. Um, I kind of like how this is going every episode. Uh, I found a new reading today. And when I thought about, you know, the romanticized, you know, depressed, tortured artist kind of thing, uh, the first thing I thought about was Hamlet. (laughs) And I'm a huge Hamlet fan, so it's not a surprise that I I think about Hamlet first. Uh, But I thought I'd read it. It's just a short monologue, uh, and it's the famous To Be or Not To Be. I've played this part on stage before. Um, This monologue is very difficult because uh, it's kind of superfluous. It doesn't really tell you anything you don't already know that hasn't already been set up in the in the play, but it's so famous at this point, you kind of, its absence almost speaks louder than it being actually included. So, uh, it's a hard speech to do. Um, but, uh, and I wish I had done this during my production when I did it, um, cause I only discovered this a few years ago, but nowhere in here does it speak because the scene basically uh the king and hamlet's mother and uh, the king's right-hand man polonius and his daughter ophelia who hamlet has had a relationship with they're planning on spying on him to see like why he's in such a weird mood and of course we know why he's in such a weird mood is because he saw a ghost of his father that told him that he was murdered and to get revenge they don't know that so they're trying to figure it out and nowhere in and basically they go off stage and Ophelia is on stage, and it's always been played as Hamlet comes out, he has a soliloquy to the audience, Ophelia doesn't hear him, and then he turns and then talks to her, and then they have a scene together. Uh, but it was brought up to me, and I don't know in what context or who did it, that Hamlet really has, there's nothing in here that's saying that Ophelia has to, that he's not doing the speech to her specifically rather than as a soliloquy to the audience front. Um, And in fact, when you put it with Ophelia, that he's doing it to her, it suddenly becomes a much more powerful speech. And I I really want to be able to do this again, if for nothing else, to be able to do it that way and to see if it changes significantly. Because I I theorize it does, but I could be wrong. Anyway, uh, here's the speech. To be or not to be, that is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take arm against the sea of troubles and by opposing in them. To die, to sleep no more. And by sleep we say to end the heartache and the thousand natural shocks that flesh is heir to. Tis a consummation devoutly to be wished, to die, to sleep, to sleep perchance to dream. Aye, there's the rub. For in that sleep of death what dreams may come when we have 
shuffled off this mortal coil must give us pause. There's the respect that makes calamity of so long life. For who would bear the whips and scorns of time, the oppressor's wrong, the proud man's contumely, the pangs of despised love, the law's delay, the insolence of office that spurns, the that patient merit of the unworthy takes when he himself might his quietest make with a bare bodkin? Who would fartles bear to grunt and sweat under a weary life but to dread the something after death? The undiscovered country from whose born no traveller returns puzzles the will and makes us rather bear those ills we have than fly to those that we know not of. This conscience does make cowards of us all. Must the native hue of resolution is sickled o'er with the pale cast of thought and enterprises of great pitch and moment with this regard their currents turn awry and lose the name of action. Soft you now, the fair Ophelia, infant, in all thy orisons, be all my sins remembered. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for listening to Talking Through Traffic. This has been episode four. I am Kevin. Thank you for listening. Have a good day. Good night and good mental health.